Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. I just want to give a shout out to my good friend Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death, dying, and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. The first time I really came face to face with death, I was about 10. I was playing in the garage doing 10-year-old things, and there, on the garage floor, were three baby mice, still and dead. They had fallen from the rafters of the garage. I stared down at them for a long time, while my siblings kept playing around me, and I remember this pit forming in my stomach. The same pit I would recognize years later, when other stressful things happened. The same pit I felt when I thought I saw movement in the shadows of my bedroom. The same pit I felt when a dog ran into traffic and I had to swerve to avoid hitting it. The same pit I felt staring up at the stars and the space between them. My dad was the only adult home, and he was recovering from surgery at the time, so it fell to me to clean up the mess. And so I grabbed a garden shovel and a dustpan and lifted the dead baby mice one by one into the trash. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a single story about creepy crawlies in the house. In In the Walls, a grieving man finds a creature that's come out of a hole in the drywall. Death and dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Busky. Stay with us. There was a small hole at the bottom of the wall, just above the floorboards, in the rear hallway near my youngest daughter's bedroom. It was innocuous, maybe an inch across, and smooth on all sides, a perfectly punched quarter-sized hole in the drywall. It was the type of flaw you don't really notice until you have to, but I did notice it, because I had noticed the mouse as I rounded the corner into the hallway on my way to the laundry room. The mouse was still, dead, 
But more than that, the mouse was missing patches of fur. Its lips were peeled back, revealing its needle-like teeth. Its eyes were wide, on account of its missing eyelids. And each cornea glazed over with the clouds of cataracts. Each foot was curled in on itself, capping all four of its twisted legs in fleshy clubs. And most peculiar of all was its tail. The thing's tail appeared in several places down its length to have swollen into knuckles. The lengths between those knuckles were hardened and inflexible. Nearing its tip, the tail split into three, and then three more, creating, at its miraculous end, nine fingers. I bent down to get a closer look and saw that I was not entirely accurate on my first assessment of its stillness. Its skin was moving, or maybe something underneath the skin was moving it. Ripples moved across the surface of the mouse's discolored skin, creating a small, gray ocean of rolling waves. Rabid, I remember thinking, as I flipped the corpse into the garage trash can with the dustpan I had used to scoop up the mouse. It was a mouse, just a mouse, infected with parasites. I'd need to call an exterminator. I hadn't yet closed the garage door for the night, and a far-off thunderstorm kicked up leaves and swirled them around the driveway in front of the empty garage. Some of them tumbled inside, and instead of closing the garage door and shutting them out, I left the door open and enjoyed the weather for a while, resigning myself to the job of sweeping up the leaves at a later date. Or maybe I'd have one of the girls do it. They'd been getting out of their chores for a while now, and maybe it was time for that to change. The view out of the empty garage reminded me to check in with my brother to see if I could get our truck back. He'd been borrowing it to haul rock around at his property for a few days, but I was getting stir-crazy and fancied a trip into town. Maybe I'd take the girls to get dinner one night this week. I needed a break and they needed a break from my cooking. I snuck a cigarette, one of the ones I kept on a shelf behind Molly's old flower pots, and noticed the pack was a few smokes lighter than when I had last left it. Someone else was sneaking them, too. I'd have to ask Lucy if she knew anything about it. Taking the first drag reminded me of all the cigarettes I'd shared with Molly. Before the accident, I only ever smoked when she did, and she only smoked late into the night when we sat outside listening to the woods and talking about death. The thunderstorm crept along in the distance, and the wind carried with it the smell of rain. The oak trees that flanked the driveway, the ones I had planted years before as saplings, danced in the wind. Each green leaf waved in the pale yellow light spilling from the garage. Branches knocked into each other, jostling loose small, unripe acorns, which fell to the pavement in groups of three or four. Some tumbled off the driveway and into the lawn, where I couldn't see them, but some came to rest in the cracks in that old concrete. I wondered if the storm would turn and come this way. 
It had been a while since we had a good downpour. Some of the lawn was yellowing and could use a watering. Or maybe I just desired the cleansing of a storm. I didn't notice I was crying. I hadn't, since the accident. And I didn't know for how long I had been crying either. It was such a natural state in those days. I slipped between detached deadpan and violent sobbing like the flip of a light switch, and the episode would pass just as quickly. Are you crying? I heard from the doorway, back into the house. Lucy, my oldest daughter, stood there, her blue eyes boring a cynical stare into mine. She had tired of my grief in recent weeks. I wiped the tears from my cheeks and took a last drag off of my cigarette before putting it out and hiding the butt in the same flower pot I had hid the pack of smokes, then turned to face my daughter. Are you stealing my cigarettes? No, she said, lying to me. Abigail is in bed. Good, I said, thank you. Lucy nodded. I saw the hamper in the hallway. Do you need me to take care of that? No. No, I've got it, I said. She stared at me for a while. I stared at her. And then she said okay before heading back inside. I watched the distant storm for a few more minutes before shutting the garage door and heading back to the laundry room. The whites out of the dryer. I moved the wet, dark load from the washer to the now free dryer before loading the washer with a second dark load and setting them both to run. I heard Lucy walk down the hallway behind me, ascend the stairs, and close the door to her room. A moment later, music, soft enough that it wouldn't wake Abigail, but loud enough I could hear it through the ceiling, began to play. The hole in the hallway wall would be an easy enough patch job. I contemplated leaving it for the morning. It was right outside of Abigail's room, and she was a notoriously light sleeper. But when I passed her door, I saw a flashlight click off, too slow to hide it from me. I pushed the door all the way open and watched her try to pretend to sleep. I know you're awake, Abigail, I said. Sorry, Dad, she said in return. It's okay. You want to help me patch this wall out here? Huh? She said, sitting up and looking over to me. Out in the hallway here, there's a hole. You want to help me patch it? She smiled. Okay. Okay, I said. Come on, then. I loaded Abigail's arms up with supplies from the garage, supplies I had just happened to have lying around. Scraps of drywall, tape, putty, saw, putty knife. I put them all in a bucket and then told Abigail to meet me in the hallway near her bedroom. She scurried back inside while I cracked the garage's side door and peered into the distance. The wind was still whipping, bringing the smell of rain, and lightning still snaked across the sky at regular intervals. Took you so long, she asked, handing me the bucket. Looks like there's a storm coming. She tensed up. Lightning? Yep. 
thunder. If it's too bad, we'll stay up and watch movies, okay? Okay, she said, stealing a glance down the hallway and out of the kitchen window in time to see the sky light up in the distance. I put the bucket down and grabbed a small piece of drywall. We'll use this as our patch. I held it against the wall. Now, trace the outline with a pencil. Abigail retrieved a pencil from the bucket and carefully traced the outline of our patch. When she was done, I put the drywall patch on the floor and grabbed the small drywall saw. Good. Now take this and use it to cut out this piece of damaged drywall using that outline. Won't that wreck the wall? she asked. For a minute, but then we'll patch it with that piece, and when we paint over it, you won't even be able to tell the difference. Cool, huh? I didn't know you could just patch over holes. I paused. Sometimes, if the hole is small enough. How do you know if a hole is too big to patch, she asked. I think you just know. You know? I said. She nodded, took the drywall saw, and started cutting. I'm going to get a soda. Do you want one? I asked. Yes, please. I walked down the hall to the kitchen and grabbed two cans of Coke from the refrigerator. As soon as I had placed my hands on the pop top, Abigail screamed from the hallway. I ran back to her, afraid she had somehow hurt herself with the saw, mentally berating myself for being so foolish as to let a ten-year-old use a dangerous tool, and found that she wasn't hurt. She had successfully cut away a sizable portion of the drywall, in fact, and spilling out of this new wound in the wall was around ten small insects. They fell from the wall onto her hands and arms and dashed up her sleeves. She sprang up and shook her hands with all her might. I brushed the villains off of her as best as I could and smashed those that stuck around to be smashed while the others made a break for it. Lucy appeared at the end of the hall, face etched in concern, but when she saw the two of us, her father and her young sister jumping around like madmen, the concern melted into annoyance, and she demanded to know what was going on. Sorry, honey, it's nothing. Abigail was having a hard time sleeping, and I asked her to help me patch the wall, and then bugs started coming out, and it turned into a whole thing. I'm sorry. You know we both have school in the morning, Lucy said. I know, you're right. Of course, this could have waited. Dad, Abigail said, what kind of bugs are these? I looked down to the casualties of my stomping and immediately noticed the whip tail like a scorpion, but rather than ending in a stinger, they were kept in a flat pad covered in several suction cups. Their legs, I counted at least 20 down the length of these things, were thin and floppy like cooked angel hair pasta, and reminded me more of a cell's cilia than an insect's legs. Their bodies were flat, armored, squirming like a roach. I had honestly not seen anything like them. Come here and take a look at this, I said, waving to Lucy. She walked over, 
and bent down with Abigail and I to get a better look. They're bugs, Dad. I don't know. Abigail screamed again as the picture frames and light fixtures throughout the house rattled in response to the massive thunderbolt. The power didn't last long after the rain reached us. We had huddled up on the couch, Abigail and I. I let Abigail hold the flashlight and told her to turn it on whenever she needed to. She had been terrified of thunderstorms her whole life, and this one was as bad as she'd ever seen. Lucy was nearby, sitting on an armchair and using the last of her cell phone battery. What are you looking at over there? Pictures, she said. Of what? Mom, she said. Really? I asked. Yeah. You want to come over here and look at them with us? I'm fine over here, thanks. You sure? There's plenty of room. Lucy looked up at me and at the free space next to me opposite of Abigail. She shook her head. Come on, I said. I'm sure Abigail would like to see those pictures. Lucy looked at me and then at Abigail before relenting and joining us on the couch. She thumbed through what seemed like hundreds of photos of my wife. My wife and I, my wife with our daughters. Some I recognized immediately, but others I couldn't. There were dozens of pictures I don't remember taking, pictures I don't remember posing for. Wait, what's that one? I asked, stopping Lucy on a picture of my wife and I at the end of a table at some restaurant somewhere. Two years ago, when we were in Chicago, Lucy said, without raising her head. Oh yeah, I said. That was a fun trip. Yeah, Lucy said. It was. I miss Mom. Me too, I said. She switched off her phone and slid it into her pocket, and the three of us fell into silence. Abigail wrapped my arm around her and rested her head on my left side. Lucy put her head on my right shoulder. Lightning flashed through the window. Thunder cracked through the house. Abigail jumped, and despite my best efforts, tears spilled from my eyes. Ow! Lucy shouted, and then slapped her neck hard, cupping her hand and throwing something onto the table in front of her. What happened? I asked. I don't know, Lucy said. I think something bit me. I took the flashlight from Abigail and clicked it on to see what Lucy had thrown against the coffee table. It was a spider, or used to be a spider. It had too many legs and not enough eyes to be a spider, but the eyes it did have were overlarge and sat on top of antenna, jutting from what I assumed was its head. It was no longer moving. Lucy must have gotten it good, but its exoskeleton writhed and wriggled. I pointed the flashlight to Lucy's neck and found a large red welt there now, and then raised the flashlight to the ceiling, scanning for any hint of where the thing had come from. Near the northern corner of the room, a small piece of drywall had fallen away, and I saw two, then three, more of these creatures find their way out of the new hole. I killed those several spiders easily, but within a half an hour, Lucy's neck had swollen so badly that she couldn't turn her head. 
Our cell phones were no longer getting any signal. The storm must have knocked out the only tower in the area. I started thinking of the best way to get to the hospital. The hospital was 15 minutes away by County Road at the best of times. In a storm, it might take double that. And that was only if the road hadn't flooded. And of course, my brother was borrowing my truck. I turned to Abigail. I'm going to run over to the Harrisons and see if they'll lend me their car. Can you stay here with your sister? Her face turned up, and immediately she started crying. It's okay, Dad. I'll be fine. You take her, Lucy said. Hey, you stop talking and keep still, I said. Okay, let's go, sweetheart. I lifted Abigail into my arms and hurried outside. You're going to get wet, okay? Abigail nodded. All right, here we go. I carried my daughter out into the storm. We were pelted by the biggest raindrops I'd ever seen. And even on this short jog over to our neighbor's door, we were drenched within seconds. Lightning streaked across the dark sky above us, and the thunderclap nearly knocked me on my ass. Abigail slapped her hands to her ears and started crying all over again. When we got to the Harrison's door, their lights were out. I wasn't surprised. It was nearing 11 o'clock, after all. It took several minutes of pounding and ringing their doorbell before Will Harrison finally came to the door. He was hesitant at first, but after explaining the situation several times, he opened their garage door and tossed me the keys, telling me to be careful for my own sake, not the car's. I placed Abigail into the back seat of the car and got in myself. Even the short drive out of the Harrison's driveway down the street and into our own was treacherous due to the amount of rain falling from the sky. I began to doubt that we could make it to the hospital. I parked in the driveway and told Abigail that I would be right back, and did she think she could be brave for Lucy until I brought her to the car? She said she would, for Lucy, and I threw myself out of the car, leaving the keys in the ignition. Lucy was not where we had left her. The couch was empty, and in Lucy's place was a sizable stain from dark liquid. A trail of the same dark liquid led across the carpet and to the linoleum floor of the kitchen, where it led to an open cabinet and then disappeared. Lucy, I asked out loud, but received no reply. I clicked on my flashlight and pointed it into the cabinet where I was greeted by a mess. Clumps of light brown hair, bits of skin, entire fingernails. And in the back of the cabinet, where the cabinet went the wall, a volleyball-sized hole was punched straight into the drywall. Thunder rolled through the house again, rattling light fixtures and picture frames. I thought about Abigail waiting in the car, afraid. Then, a loud thud hit the ceiling above me. Different from the thunder, something large had fallen against the drywall. Lucy, I asked again. Whatever it was up there, picked itself up and scurried away. 
I followed it by ear, down the wall of the kitchen and into the hallway, where I grabbed the drywall saw Abigail and I had left on the floor. I followed the sounds down the hallway, through the bathroom, the laundry room, up the stairs. It stopped for a moment in Lucy's bedroom, and I plunged the saw into the drywall nearby, cutting out a small square and hoping to get a better look. I shoved the flashlight into the wall, looking around toward the last place I had heard the noises, and then I gasped. Through the hole, reflected in the beam of the flashlight, I saw two blue eyes. They stared for a moment, and then retreated further into the walls. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, In the Walls, was written by me too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Dead Mice and Downpours. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out the other shows, they're great. New episodes, the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.